Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cocktail Conversations. I'm your host, Shannon, and I do want to apologize. I missed last week. Uh, Listen, my little personal life (laughs) threw me for a loop. I had so much I had to do, uh, so many things I had to handle, and I got overwhelmed. I looked, and I was like, oh, oh dear, it's Thursday. I haven't interviewed anybody. I haven't done anything. And for a while, I thought I was going to do a sangria sermon about uh, the president's taxes. And then he did something else crazy. Then I thought he would talk. We would talk about Melania waging a war on Christmas. And then he did something else crazy. And then he got coronavirus. And I was just like, you know what? I can't keep up. Y'all's president is a fool. And I can't keep up with everything that's going on. And now the saints are debating with us about whether or not we should pray for those who persecute us and how we should pray for those who persecute us. And I'm just not engaging. So (laughs) I refuse. Y'all do what y'all see fit. I personally. mm. So let's let's dive into some other stuff. But so you know what? (laughs) You know what what what's been dominating the week so far, basically. And you know, I said on on Facebook, and I'll, I'll say it here: the saddest thing in this for me is that you lie so much that no one believes you either way. When the beginning of the year, when he was out and about, maskless, you know, seeking whom he may devour, all of us thought, "Oh goodness, he's lying. He he has coronavirus. He has to have it." Now he says he has and everybody's like, he's lying. He ain't got no coronavirus. And it's like, this is the saddest thing. It's like, you lie. You are the man who cries wolf about everything. So now that we've got footage of him leaving the hospital and looking like it is taking all of his energy to just catch his breath. And it's like, what the world? And he's still, ugh, I just, y'all vote. Vote November 3rd. Let's just at least... At this point, we're not even just voting for like your favorite or who you believe in. It's like, I just want to vote so we can get some sort of stasis. Like if we could just go back to a somewhat okay place again, then we could get to revolution and then we can change and improve things. But right now, whoo, honey, Mm. folks are off their rocker and I'm just tired. So let's start with some good news, and that is Kelly Rowland has announced that she's pregnant. She uh, is on the cover of, I think it's like Shape Magazine, just looking like a beautiful goddess in her little belly. So that's always nice. Uh, Her son Titan is as cute as can be and charming and smart. So anytime people who have really, (laughs) this sounds horrible, when people have really great kids and then they have another one, I'm always excited because I'm like, oh, I like your first one. (laughs) like their sequels. I really enjoyed the first child that you gave us. So I'm really excited (laughs) for this remix. (laughs) So that is good news. Um, In sad news, so, you know, Chrissy Teigen and John Legend uh, have been pregnant with their third child and we'd all been sort of, um, you know, it's just, you know, things are really hard and things are really tough and so, you know, it's just nice when people are having beautiful new babies. I don't really care if they're celebrities or the girl next door. You know, when people bring new life into the world, it, it just adds a little level of hope. And so um, Chrissy and John went to the hospital with the photographer anticipating a birth. And unfortunately, their baby um, did not survive. And they made the, in my opinion, very brave decision to share the news and share the photos that um, really captured the heartbreak 
the raw emotion, the sadness of what they experienced. And listen, my heart goes out to them. My heart goes out to anyone who saw those photos and were, I don't want to say triggered, but who had also shared that experience with them. Um, that's just sad. It's just sad all around. And I have a special part of my behind that certain people can kiss. If you saw those photos and your reaction was to chastise them for sharing or to ask why they had a photographer or to judge how you think they should have felt about it, just go find the nearest cliff, take a step and keep walking off of it because people have a right to grieve in their own way. Now, I'm the main one who has a lot of trash to talk about people's funerals. <laughs> I don't like none of the traditions that we have as a society when it comes to, to funerals. I don't like any of them. I think they're all weird. They all make things harder for me. I don't like an open casket. And yet someone decided that that was how they wanted to grieve and everybody took up with it and, and agreed, but me. I'm not judging y'all, you know, some of you had things to say about John and Chrissy sharing their photos of their mourning, the loss of their child, as if we can look through y'all's family albums and have to dodge pictures of dead folks in their casket. Everybody does weird stuff because grieving is weird. It sucks. It's not a natural. It is natural, but you just do. You don't practice it. You just do what you do. And it just comes out that way. So let's let's have less judgment, saints of God. I've seen too many of you on my Facebook. I've had to dodge y'all's pictures of y'all, y'all's big mamas in caskets for years. But you got something to say about John and Chrissy posting a picture of them crying. I have watched you all line up with weird smiles on your faces in cemeteries and have the, and just and, and all of that is not my cup of tea. I'm saying it honestly. But at the same time, I'm trying to understand how that's okay, but John and Chrissy sharing their photos, that's too much. Let's sweep around our own front doors, darlings. Let's do that. I want to talk for like a split second about Real Housewives of Potomac. Now listen, I don't watch it consistently because I don't watch anyone consistently except Real Housewives of New York. Don't ask why their drunken antics give me the giggles. But a lot of times with like the black... Um, <laughs> housewives I, I genuinely like almost all of them particularly off the show and so sometimes I choose to avoid the mess so I can continue to like them but one of the interesting things about Potomac is like there was recently a fight on the episode and can I can I reveal I love a little trash tv amongst reality tv show fights wasn't the worst I've seen because I watched love and hip-hop for years and uh, Monique kind of walked dog on a girl just and her. And so, you know, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the show, one girl is just annoying. Candace is just aggravating. We all know she's aggravating. She talks a lot of mess and and, you know, she barely ever backs it up. She's just mouthy. Um, but she just tried Monique on the wrong day with too much. And Monique popped right off. She got in her face. And it turned into a, a, a good snatching of a, I would say a snatching of a wig, but Candace's wig was really laid with the tears of God. It did not move. And, and Monique was pulling, she was dragging her whole body by that wig. So what I find most interesting 
condescending, kind of annoying, is that post the fight, certain people who didn't really like this girl in the first place are like, I don't feel safe around you, and I want her off the show, and I want blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, the one lady, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, you did. It's a real housewives. You're going to sign up to drink, act nutty, and potentially argue and fight. It's just part of what it is. And this is not Downton Abbey, like up to date edition. You're gonna, it's, it's, it's meant to be kind of trashy. It's the fun of it for all of us. So I'm just interested in that. Now, what is interesting is that there's a cast member, for those of you who don't know, Giselle Bryant. <laughs> Giselle Bryant is the ex wife, current girlfriend of Pastor Jamal Bryant. He used to have a big church in Maryland, Empowerment Temple, I think. And then he switched over. Now he's pastoring Eddie Long's old church, New Birth, in Atlanta. And they broke up because he cheated on her many, many years ago. And since then, he has had God knows how many children with God knows how many women. I mean, his, you know, when they pass the communion, it's it's wafers and bread, not your penis. But anywho, she had the nerve to say on this show, because she and Jamal are back together, to the opposition of her entire family, including the children she has with this man. <laughs> Well, you know, Jamal is a pastor and I can't be affiliated with like fighting. That's not a good image for us. Girl, how are you more concerned about his image than he's ever been? Again, this man has, he could start a football team, maybe a small, what's a smaller sport? Maybe not a football team. He could start a small sports league. With the amount of children he has on this earth, not counting your three that you had in marriage. So if, if we're talking about protecting people's image, then just, just state your own. Just say, I don't want to be affiliated with that. But girl, how many times are you going to let this man embarrass you? At this point, you know, because people are like, oh, you know, it's that money. She loves that money. I don't know. I think she really is just a fool for Jamal. Like, and, and I get it. You love who you love. She married him before he had any of this fancy stuff. She she probably is just in love with him. And Jamal Bryant strikes me as the type that when, when the mood is right, when the lights are dim, when he's not giving you pastor voice, you may, in fact, find yourself charmed. He charms the draws off a lot of women, apparently. So maybe that's the thing. But girl... You more worried about his image than he is. Just say you don't like that girl and go on ahead. Just, just do that. Speaking of people going ahead, so there was recently an interview with uh, Dan, former husband or or widower to the late great B Smith. So if you listen to some previous episodes, you know that I have had a major bone of contention with B Smith's uh, husband, widower. And that is while she was suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia and he was her caregiver, he was openly and outwardly dating this young blonde woman. Younger. She ain't really young. I don't know how old she is, you know, skin. Um, but so he was openly and outwardly dating this blonde woman, had her all in interviews and all over, you know, social media and basically told us that we are we need to mind our business and he's in love and she's helping him and helping and everybody I was just not a fan and I stated that I was not a fan of his 
lack of discretion. I was not a fan of him bringing a woman into her home as you care for her. I just was irritated and I felt disrespected as a fan of B. Smith. So just this like week, you know, Dan has Dan Gatsby is his last name. I just had to look it up. Does this whole um, interview where he says outwardly, you know, he's talking glowingly about his late wife and about how kind and how beautiful and classy she was. And then he it has to acknowledge, oh, I'm no longer in a relationship with the blonde woman was Alex. That was her name. No longer in a relationship with Alex. She, quote, ran off. <laughs> she took off and you know whatever (laughs) life has a way of whatever you deserve you'll ultimately get and that's fine so listen that's what he said that was a direct quote life has a way of whatever you deserve you'll ultimately get and that's fine so all I can say is well look at Dan the ancestor's been kicking his tail, huh? <laughs> Woo! I, I, I don't understand why she left. I don't understand what's more appealing about dating a man who's married and caregiving for his ailing wife. Maybe that's sexy to her. Maybe she likes being the other woman. Maybe when she actually had him all to herself, she realized, ugh, I don't really like him like that. Because all of that could be possible. Like, oh, all his attention's on me and I don't like him. Perhaps that's it. But, uh, well, Dan. (laughs) 2020 has a way of showing you. That's the new song. 2020 has a way of, of revealing. And so now you've probably been shown that this was the bad, this was stupid. And on that interview, baby, he like he had been through it. That interview, he looked more tired now than he did when he was in the midst of caregiving. And that's rough. So. (laughs) Well, Dan, peace be unto you. B. Smith is now an ancestor. And I think I think uh, I think I think it's all balanced. There's balance in the universe for all of us B. Smith fans. So listen, I'm going to take a break from being petty and we are going to be right back with my guest, physician's assistant, Liz Martin. We are talking about women's health, you know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and it's a good time for all of us with lady parts to uh, get ourselves together, to think about our health and our well-being, and a good reminder to put ourselves first. So I want you to stay tuned, listen. Um, Even if you are not a person with lady parts, you might want to listen so you can help someone that you are close to um, and remind them to get checked out and to stay healthy. So take a break and we'll be right back. Um, You know it's October, it's breast cancer awareness and all kinds of women's health initiatives are going to be taking place. So it was really, really important that we have this conversation. So I'm excited to have my guest, Liz Martin. You are a, now listen, don't let me mess it up. Tell me about your professional life. Liz is my good friend, but she's actually a physician's (laughs) assistant as well. 
So Liz, tell everybody a little bit more about yourself. Well, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Liz Martin and I'm a, a physician assistant with a gynecology group here in Central Florida. Um, I've been um, working um, as a PA now almost 10 years, which is, uh, you know, mind-blowing how yeah. fast time has gone. But um, um, I've been uh, specialized, specializing in um, um, women's health and, and gynecology for about um, six of, of those years. And it's been really rewarding. It's been really fun. And I'm so excited to be, you know, here with you uh, Shannon, who I consider family, yes. good friends and family. <laughs> yes, yes. Liz is, Liz is my, my Orlando sweetheart. And she's going to hate me for saying this. One of my favorite things is Liz is so sweet. I love when we play Cards Against Humanity Aww. and I try to bully her into saying something dirty. Because she's yeah. so sweet. She is so clean in the way that she presents things. So as soon as something filthy comes up, I... I feel like it's slightly my ministry to corrupt you. It's a great time. <laughs> <laughs> and I blush and... and <laughs> oh, but I always have a good time. I always love our game nights. I, I can't wait to get back to that. You know, yes. when um, things kind of settle down with all that's going on in the community because it's so important, you know, to, to stay connected exactly. and stay having fun with our friends and family. Exactly, exactly. Well, I wanted to have this chat um, because, you know, we are, uh, you know, ladies of a certain age now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our yeah. conversations about our bodies and health and things are targeted towards adolescence, right? I was listening to a podcast where mm -hmm. this lady was saying she was on a panel at church and they were like, we should tell the kids this, we should tell the kids that. And they were like, did any of us do that? Mm. And so mm -hmm. we have a lot of conversations about changing bodies when you are changing from childhood to teenage years, but we don't really ever go back and recheck ourselves once we hit, you know, thirties, mm forties, -hmm. et cetera. So as a doctor, particularly a doctor that deals with women and sexual health, what do you wish more women were talking about or asking about, uh, in their doctor's visits? Yes. Well, I, I do wish that um, women would put themselves first in, in a lot of ways because without us, how are we going to be there for our, our, our families, our friends? Mm. So even just coming in once a year for a routine physical examination, gynecological examination, um, and, um, you know, uh, asking questions about um, what preventative um, uh, strategies I should be taking, whether it's being familiar with a monthly breast exam, um, being familiar with um, um, an annual pap smear and, and what that's for and what it entails, mm -hmm. um, really goes a long way. An ounce of prevention is really worth a pound of cure, and I see that every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot of women are neglecting themselves, basically, not even they're taking their kids to the doctor every week, but not themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That exactly. That makes sense. That makes sense. I want to yeah. talk about what do you see a lot for women that we that maybe are catching us off guard? Like, what do you see us having or issues that we're having that we're not really paying attention to? In the realm of uh, gynecology, 
um, I do see a lot of um, menstrual problems, whether that is irregular periods, heavy periods, painful periods kind of being put off because of uh, the fact that we're all so busy, we're taking care of others. Um, so that's uh, something really important that, you know, we experience every month. And if it's not coming regularly, if it's uncomfortable, if it's heavy, it should be something that um, we should come to our, our um, gynecology, gynecological health care uh, professionals to, to discuss and explore what could be going on. Do you think a lot of us are, as you're saying that, I was thinking, how many of us have normalized the idea that we should be in pain every month? I know. I know. Unfortunately, I see it a lot. I see it a lot. Yeah. Um, I've seen it to where, you know, I, I'm addressing um, a, a very heavy, painful period in, in, a, in, a, in a patient that they have been experiencing for decades. Yeah. Um, and then at that point, by that time, you know, we're, we may be dealing with a severe um, case of endometriosis or a large fibroid and be limited in options that we have because uh, this issue has been put off for so long. Mm-hmm. And we know we grew up calling it what it, it was the curse. It was uh, yeah. you know, all these sorts of terminology that mm-hmm. makes you feel like you being doubled over every single month Mm -hmm. is just part of life's plan yeah but but how how do you yeah you're right we don't talk enough about those to know well that's not how it should be for you we just assume that people that have light periods or less painful periods are are the lucky ones Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you're discussing about um adolescence it does begin there um going in for an annual checkup And then, you know, once we phase out of the pediatrics realm, getting established with um, a good primary care, a gynecologist that should be um, seeing at least once a year to ask these important questions. Um, We know that once we're 18 and have ever been sexually active, um, it's important to, you know, um, get STD screenings, even possibly start an annual pap smear. And that goes on for uh, up until the age of 65. Um, so it's really important at a young age to, you know, um, establish care with a, a good provider that you trust. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of good providers that we trust, um, and I wanted to ask this because, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to see your, your doctor, they're going to ask you some intimate questions about you mm-hmm. and sex and what you are doing with whom you're doing things with etc so Mm -hmm. what what advice you have for someone who may not want to open up may feel uncomfortable talking about certain Mm -hmm. things or they have opened up in the past and they got a response or a reaction from their doctor that they felt was judgmental or made them feel some kind of way i mean i I literally this was a while back somebody had mentioned it and it was a, a conversation on facebook the things some of these women's doctors had said to them about certain sex behaviors or or activities, oh. they they ran they never saw those doctors again. Oh my goodness! And they were right by just discontinuing care with them. I I do agree with that. You want to definitely make sure that you're establishing care with someone that you feel comfortable with, someone that you can trust. Um, uh, because they are going to be, 
you know, um, uh, hopefully part of your, your life for, for a really long time. Um, so I, I would encourage, um, if we're looking for a good provider, to go online, read reviews, connect with your girlfriends, ask who they're being seen by, um, ask your insurance. If you have insurance for a list of providers, do research on each one because you, you do um, want to feel very comfortable with them. You know, they'll, they're going to be performing a, a physical exams, talking about intimate questions about your sexual health, as you said, and, and you have to feel comfortable. A lot of the decisions that are made um, during a, um, uh, uh, an examination um, really depend on uh, you being truthful with your provider. Um, so that's really important. Um, uh, thankfully, I, I haven't um, experienced that from uh, any of my colleagues you know we were all very very um, uh, understanding uh, very um, uh, good with our patients um, but um, I, I, I would feel that if someone is uncomfortable to get established with someone that that um, uh, they would feel comfortable with seeing yeah I think talking to our yeah. peers is also excellent advice as well yeah. because you know, chances are your good, good Judy, your good, good friend knows what mm -hmm. you like to do in the nightlight, maybe. And so if she's going mm -hmm. to a doctor, <laughs> if she's going yes. to a doctor that doesn't yes. make her feel any kind of way about her own sexual behavior, then perhaps that's probably a good, open-minded person. You know, because I would hate for somebody, you know, I always say sometimes we got to be honest with ourselves first, right? So, mm -hmm. but I would that's hate for right. someone who is maybe not being honest about how many people they're having sex with or, or same-sex attraction mm -hmm. or whatever it is that we've sort of learned to put a, yeah. a little shroud of shame over. If you're not being honest with yourself about your own sexual activity, then you can't be honest with that doctor. And, and exactly. you have to make decisions based on what you actually are doing, not what you think you should morally be doing. If that makes any mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You mentioned fibroids. Now, that's something I'm very yes. familiar with. I've had fibroids. I've had fibroid surgery um, in mm -hmm. the past. And so uh, I had fibroids so early. I was like 24 when I had mine, and I had a myomectomy wow. at 25. Wow. And so mm -hmm. I weirdly became the fibroids girl at my job, like, once mm -hmm. people found out I had them, I would have like, you know, a line of women coming back and forth. So I just found out. And this is what, a, you know, yeah. it was very, very um, <laughs> interesting, right? So yeah. talk to the people um, about fibroids. Um, what are they? Because a lot of people don't know what they are until they have them. And then <laughs> is there anything we can do or should be doing to prevent them, avoid them, alleviate some stuff? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, fibroids are benign, so non-cancerous growths in the lining of the muscle of your uterus, your womb. And um, unfortunately, they disproportionately affect women of color. Um, and there is a genetic basis to that as well. We don't exactly know in medicine why um, women develop fibroids, but that seems to be a common a common uh, factor there. Um, the symptoms of fibroids can range from no symptoms at all or asymptomatic to having heavy, painful, 
periods, pain with sex, mm-hmm. bloating. Um, and this is another reason why it's important starting at adolescence to, you know, get established with a good provider, be comfortable discussing your uh, the history with your periods, um, because it's something that can progress. Um, the treatment plan really depends on on the patient and their goals. Um, if you're fairly young and have larger fibroids, you're bleeding a lot, it's painful, mm-hmm. and you obviously want to conceive down the road, um, there are more conservative options such as birth control or surgical options such as uh, a myomectomy. If you're um, a little bit um, older and are no longer looking to bear children and you're having a lot of pain with your periods and bleeding and and um, there, there are large fibroids, perhaps exploring a hysterectomy um, would be um, an option there. But uh, it's, it's a um, condition that doesn't have one, you know, it's not one size fits all. It really does entail getting established with a good GYN provider that's going to listen to you, your symptoms, your goals, your desires, um, uh, and, and come up with a treatment plan that's catered to you. Um, but it is very common. Every day I, I see patients with, with fibroids, and every day you know, I take the time to um, it, it, it interact with them, obtain their history, and come up with a good treatment plan. Yeah, mm-hmm. good. And it's necessary, and you're right, it's so common, and most people have mm-hmm. no clue. Like I, I no clue. I found out I had fibroids, and I tell this story just because, in hindsight, it's such a Shannon situation. It was like a New Year's Eve, mm. and I thought I had appendicitis. I went to the because oh. I was in so much pain. I went to like a walk-in oh. doctor the next day, the, but they were like, "No, if you had appendicitis, when we touch you here, you jump." Blah blah blah. You know. So Mm -hmm. that, so it was like the day before New Year's Eve, that next day I was in so much pain and I was embarrassed to go to the ER because I thought it was gas. And I was like, oh Oh, no, I don't want to be the girl. (laughs) I don't want to be the girl with a case of severe gas that I can't, but I was, I was doubled over. And uh, you know, around like seven o'clock that night, I was in so much pain. I grabbed my keys and I head to my car and my mother was like, where are you going? I'm going to the hospital. She's like, nope, I will oh. drive you. <laughs> What's going on? And, <laughs> you know, and going to the hospital, going to the ER on New Year's Eve, I don't recommend. Um, but there I was, doubled over in pain. And as soon as they took me back, oh, they were like, no. there's fibroids in there. One's crushing this and causing that. And that's why she's in so much pain. Wow. And I had had so oh, much irregular my. bleeding, but I had been having irregular bleeding since I was a kid. Like I was hospitalized. Oh, when I was wow. like 11, because I had lost so much blood. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I've never been regular, wow. basically. <laughs> it's either been, wow. it's either been very, very bad or nothing at all, right? So, yeah. so because I had had such bad experiences in the past, when I actually had fibroids and had a lot of bleeding, I did not even connect the dots that something could be even deeply know. wrong with yeah. me because I had had a situation when I was a little kid and had just like caught my period. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was, I wasn't even 11. I was 10. Um, wow. Yeah. And was hospitalized for losing too much blood. 
So, you know, once I was 25 and had that situation again, I was a hot mess of fibroids. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, you know, many times when we're young, you know, we're, we've got our first few periods, they're irregular. We contributed to that, what's called H, um, the um, hypothalamic pituitary axis, HPO axis, which is when your brain connects with your uterus and ovaries to sink a regular period every month. Mm-hmm. So many young girls do experience irregular periods at first, and it's something that can last up to five years. But for you to have been hospitalized mm-hmm. and, you know, I've lost so much blood, I would have, you know, had some... Uh, uh, red flags, whoa, you know, we need to maybe see a gynecologist, even yeah. at age 11. Yeah, even at age 11, and I, I patients you know, as young as eight sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I was in third grade when I started my period, so I was wow. definitely on the young wow. side of things. But I remember mm-hmm. going to the doctor and they put me on iron pills and everything, like everybody was watching me because I was getting so weak. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know why I remember, I had watched the movie Clueless, it was finally on VHS. I totally just dated myself but um I remember going to lay down and my words came out slurred and they were scared I was having a stroke and so that's why I had to go to the hospital and that was the issue I'd lost so much blood it was like my tongue wasn't working anymore wow wow so you know that is I know yeah. firsthand that women's health, our bodies, it's all one part of us. And I think there's a tendency, especially when we're dealing with something that is related to sex, to tell ourselves, mm-hmm. we don't need to talk about mm-hmm. this, or we don't need to deal with this, or we need to only kind of hush tone it, or, oh, my daughter mm-hmm. doesn't need to get checked out, she's not having sex. I was very grown before I had sex, and I definitely had to have a gynecologist way before I even thought about mm-hmm. sex. Because it's all a holistic part of the body. That's why this episode uh, was so important to me. Because, yeah. honey, mama's yeah. been through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> been through mm-hmm. it. That's good, good. Yeah, empowering women to, you know, talk about sex and talk about their bodies is, is critical. Because you just never know how things are going to go as we age. And, um, you know, it, 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 like I said, an ounce of prevention, pound of cure, you know, yes, um, yes. for sure. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let's talk about sex. Let's get there. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. listen, as we are, you know, <laughs> little, little older and, you know, as mm-hmm. we age, sometimes our sex drives and the bodies and the way that we relate it to our bodies can change you know you've got Mm -hmm. your hormones you've got Mm -hmm. the lack thereof Mm -hmm. all of these sorts of things Uh you you feel like you're just steamrolling towards menopause what advice Mm -hmm. do we have to do you have for us to maintain some of that virility or to return to it Mm -hmm. for those of us that need a return well i would say uh first don't panic don't panic um the libido, the sexual drive is so subjective, and as we know, it can vary from person to person. It can vary from even day to day. If we have a busy work um, schedule during the week, you know, we might not be as into, 
you know, um, um, being intimate with our partners on a Monday versus on a Friday or Saturday, um, if we're stressed out, even if we aren't, um, you know, dieting, exercising, if, if we're taking certain meds, we can um, shift our libido. So um, I would definitely uh, focus on seeing if any of the changes are associated with those things before getting too worried. Mm. But if we feel, because we know our bodies more than anyone else, that this is something that is happening often, it's affecting my relationship, I, I, I don't feel well about this, I would definitely connect with a good GYN who can perform a physical exam um, and maybe even order some blood work to check our hormones. Mm. Um, Yes, yes. Um, I know at our office we do offer um, uh, bioidentical hormone cream supplements. We even offer pellets that are actually placed underneath the skin of the hip and replenish some of the hormones that we may be losing as we are approaching our premenopause, menopause. Um, but um, it just depends on on, uh, on the individual and and what you're looking to achieve but i would first say don't panic you know sit down think you know have i started a new supplement um am i feeling this way you know on a particular day of the week or time am i am i really stressed out um and then of course if, if there's any any um uh uh, cause for concern, getting established with a GYN. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine, you know, with 2020, it's it's been a stressful year. Yes. Across the board. Stressful. And I, I've yes. noticed that everyone yes. is dealing with it differently. There are some people joking about all these quarantine babies that are coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And then I hear the other Which half. I can attest this true. We have a lot of pregnancy <laughs> confirmations for doing. Yes. So some yes. people in times of struggle, <laughs> they get right to it. And then other people are like, yes. all I want to do is just hide under the bed and sleep. Like they're not getting it in at all. Yeah. So, and I get it. Everyone's yeah, I'm different. Out. I'm working. Yeah, I'm working. I'm mom. I'm a teacher now. I'm home. I, yeah. you know, I can't get out to exercise, uh, you know, if, if, if this has been a tough time, a really tough time. That's yeah. like, I always watch, oh, like, you ever goodness. watch on those movies where like, there's a death in the family and immediately the couple has sex and I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah. Is this a <laughs> continuity error? Yeah. Like that is, death is a turnoff for me. What is happening? Like I always watch it yeah. perplexed. Like now is, now is when you feel like doing this. So everyone's different. (laughs) (laughs) Cut yourself some slack. Chill out. That's the first step. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, you know, check yourself. Check what's going on in your life. Give yourself. But I mean, I get it, you know, and especially as you get older, just a little bit older. It doesn't even be a lot older. It's just, you know, your knees hurt. You just back everything. You just got to question stuff. Yeah. So I get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I get it. Now I'm going to ask this, yeah. this is, this is, now this is, because there's people listening that are rooting for me to have a baby. This question is for women in general. It's not yeah. directed towards me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Give that disclaimer for a few people. What steps should we take? <laughs> 
if we are trying to get pregnant, other than just getting it in, because that's the first step, right? What steps should we be taking for our own health if we would like to get pregnant and we're over 30 or in our 40s? You know, what steps should we be taking for, for maternal health? Oh, then that's a really good question. Um, definitely being aware of your menstrual cycle, knowing when your fertile days are, which is uh, typically between days 12 and 16 of your cycle. The first day of your period is the first day of your cycle, and then you just track from there. Day 14 is when we ovulate, so it's good to check, you know, two days before, two days after, that's your fertile window. I use the Flow app. Okay. Um, I have no, you know, endorsements with them, but it's, it's really good. Um, so knowing your, your fertile days. Um, we recommend to start a prenatal vitamin at least three months before trying to conceive um, because the folic acid helps to prevent the neural tube defects. So your cleft lip in the baby, the spina bifida, um, diet, exercise, um, Infertility itself is defined by a full year we're trying on our fertile days okay. and having unprotected sex and we're not successful. At that point, I would recommend getting established with a good GYN, uh, making sure you're up to date with your annual pap smear. They may want to order a pelvic ultrasound, some hormone blood work to see if there's any, um, any issue. Um, they may want to give your partner a script for a sperm count analysis. I know with our practice, we would do all of the above. Um, but uh, if, if there is any cause for concern, we would uh, defer to a uh, reproductive endocrinologist or a fertility specialist for additional um, uh, workup. We know after age 35, our ovarian egg count our reserves can decrease up to 50 percent so the <laughs> long, yeah the longer we wait yeah the harder it can be so the sooner the better but there are options if you're not ready if you're not ready and and, and you're you're 42 that's okay um there are options but we definitely um, um need you to be um seeing your gyn Gotcha. Talk to a professional about yeah. your options, especially if you've been trying mm -hmm. for a while and, and it, you know, you may need some additional guidance or some help. What have you been on birth control so long? You have no clue when your cycle is actually supposed to happen. <laughs> or is that just me? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Well, depending on the birth control, if you are, you know, seeing a regular period every month on it, um, once you stop, you're, your ovulation should still continue regularly, so it might be easier to become pregnant. But it depends on the birth control method. Um, that's the case with the pills, but with the depo, the injection, the effects of that could stay in your system up to 18 months oh, from wow. the last injection. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. I've yeah. always heard conflicting harder. things yeah. about that. There's, you know... Some people that swear, okay, you have to be off of your whatever your birth control is for a while before you can get pregnant. But I had a, a good girlfriend at a previous job who thought that, and and her baby was at her wedding because <laughs> she thought, okay, I'll get off, and then after the wedding, I'll probably get pregnant. And she got pregnant like the week after. 
like she got pregnant very so quickly after. Asked, yeah, as yeah. soon as she got off. Very quickly. It can very quickly. And I've seen it. I've seen it. You know, it, oh my goodness, they were moving IUD and the next week, oh my goodness, you know, so you just, <laughs> um, you just ne- never know how, how things are going to work. <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. That's <laughs> so. It depends on what kind of birth control method you've been using, basically, in terms of how much yeah. time it takes for it to get out of your system and for for you know everything to be working as it should again. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've asked about. And oh, go ahead. Oh no, no. Um, just um, going into the different birth control methods. I got it thinking. You know, I talked about the pill and the and the the depo, but there mm-hmm. are so many different methods um, that are available to uh, cater to any woman's wants um, for a contraception. Um, whether that it, whether it be the pill, the patch, the NuvaRing, an IUD, there's hormones, there's non-hormones. So, um, you know, getting established with a good GYN to go over all of these options um, uh, is really important as well. Yeah. What's the one looks like a looks like a tea in a spring? That's the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the IUD, the intrauterine device, and there are several on the markets with hormones, without hormones. Um, so it's, it's, uh, you know, it's really good. It's, you know, we don't see a whole lot of side effects with it, like headaches, nausea, waking, um, certainly everyone can react differently. Um, but, um, in my experience, it's, it's really one of the best, um, options. Um, you don't have to remember to take a pill every day. You don't have to get a shot. You don't have to remember to put a patch on, you know, so, Um, it, it's really neat. Yeah. It's like the Showtime roaster. You set it and forget it basically. And then go on. Yeah. Set it and forget it. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they have three year, five year, 10 year. Oh. Um, so yeah, just set it and, and forget it. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want anything up me for 10 years, but you know, <laughs> you all be empowered to make your own decision. I'm not judging. I'm thinking, honey, I'd have to change that out at some point. I don't don't like keeping my weave too long. I know I can't keep (laughs) that might be too much. So we talked about people that are interested in being pregnant, but what if you are the type Mm -hmm. of person who has decided, you know, you've considered it, you've thought about it, and you say, I've never wanted to have my own children. I've never wanted to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. What options do you have? Uh, if you do not want to, and of course we all know about like certain options if you have already had children, but if you've never had them and you don't want them, yeah. how does that work? And are there still, cause I used to hear in the past, they wouldn't let you get certain things done if you never had kids before. Yeah. They wouldn't allow you to make those decisions. Is that still the case? Well, in our practice, uh, it really depends on your individual desires, your age. Um, we would prefer the most conservative route, which would be abstinence, condoms, medical route, birth control pills, the patch, the NuvaRing, and IUD, 10 years, you know, there's lots of options there. Surgically, um, 
we and our practice have never performed a tubal ligation on on a on a patient that's never conceived before. Um, we actually prefer the bilateral, it's called bilateral salpingectomy, which is removing the tubes because that protects us down the road from ovarian cancer. Um, but certainly if, if um, uh, uh, a patient wants to keep her tubes and just have them cut or burned and they've had children before and they're adamant they do not want to conceive again, we would do it, but not if you've never conceived before. Um, it, it's it's tough. It's tough. Um, I'm not really sure if, if there are GYNs that would do it. Maybe there there are. Um, I'm sure if, if there were an, an extreme case where that was the only option, they're going to have side effects to, to all the types of birth control and maybe there's someone, but I don't. I don't personally know. Um, on my end, I get a lot of patients who want their tubal reversals, who, wow. who want to conceive, who, who who've gotten in, fell in love with a partner that wants a child, and they have had children in prior relationships and had their tubes tied, and they're looking to reverse. Mm. So keeping that in mind and how often I see that, I would really encourage anyone looking to have a permanent um, uh, sterilization uh, to consider all possibilities um, in their future um, for childbearing. Right. And I understand that I was um, Mm -hmm. on Twitter and and, uh, a lady was saying that she didn't want children, never wanted children. and no one would perform mm. things for her. And I think she ended up marrying a man who had his own children. And she said she had mm. asked a doctor, and that doctor said she, he wanted her to have written permission from her husband or something like that, something Ooh. basically stating that okay. he he was fine with her not birthing children from him before he would do it. Mm. Um, and she was at that point older. I think Aww. she was maybe in her 40s. So, and no, at an age when most people are like, mm. yeah, I think, you know, if you're 40 and you say a no, you know you know. Um, mm-hmm. or, you know, 40 is mm-hmm. not 20 in terms of knowing what you want for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and you just never know. Even a minimally invasive surgery, it requires anesthesia. What complications can arise? You never know. So we don't want to perform a surgery unless it's absolutely necessary. And, you know, the older we are, the high risk we are for surgery. So it's, it's, it's a gray area. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and I can imagine seeing mm-hmm. people regret their decision also adds to the feeling of, yeah. uh, don't call back here 10 years from now. <laughs> exactly and IVF is expensive you know let's say the the tubes were removed to to go through IVF and uh you know it's it's really rewarding um you know I'm sure but it's also very costly and and can be emotional and um painful so if if if, if, you know it's not needed um we would prefer one of the more conservative methods Gotcha. Mm, for sure. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I, I, mm-hmm. I cannot end this interview without talking about is that we have, um, yeah. oh, I'm trying to brace this without like getting too emotional, but you know, we've been dealing with mm-hmm. a lot of black women in particular feeling 
like maybe their mm-hmm. health concerns were not paid attention to doctors thinking Aww. that we feel more pain less pain than other people um we've oh. been seeing stories in the news of of women going to hospitals and being told it's not that serious and dying even uh like oh. serena williams and beyonce had sort of really bad birthing stories um in which their lives oh. were really at risk um and doctors weren't listening mm-hmm. to them so i guess mm-hmm. you know my question is how can we advocate for ourselves and our well-being uh, when we're in need and when we're in pain um, and dealing with with mm-hmm. the medical system? How do we best advocate for ourselves? Mm-hmm. Definitely uh, starting off by getting established with a good GYN that you feel comfortable with, um, making sure you're following up on an annual basis. Um, if you're having a... Um, a problem with your periods, with um, pain, um, making sure that you are making these appointments to be seen, to be heard. Keeping a log of your symptoms goes a long way, you know, especially for me being a provider, I'm only seeing you in that moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but keeping um, a, a log of, of um, the pain history, when is it occurring, um, for how long, if it's bleeding, how many days, how many pads or tampons are you changing an hour, you know, uh, really, really goes a long way. Um, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, if you're established with a good provider, they're going to, they should be listening to you and advocating for you and encouraging you. Um, in the ER setting, you know, they do a fantastic job, you know, addressing acute problems, mm-hmm. but they might not be able to get the full picture at the ER. You know, they're just trying to stabilize you and, um, you know, um, do the best they can. And then they trust that you're going to follow up with your primary care or if it's a gynecological issue with a, a GYN, they might uh, assign to you. So it's really important, you know, especially because some of the the issues we most of the issues we deal we deal with at GYN can be cyclical every month, you know, mm-hmm. um, relapsing, remitting. Uh, we need to get established with a good provider we feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So having that regular doctor will aid in being able to advocate for yourself. Um, yes. And then if we're in a hospital setting when we're not with our regular doctor, what what advice would you have for us to do? Like if if somebody is in the hospital, something's not right and that person's not maybe taking them as seriously as they feel they need. What 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 would we do? Well, you have the right um, as a patient, if you don't feel comfortable with the provider attending um, to you to request another provider or another nurse, um, you know, you need to be heard. You need to be heard. And that's so, uh, that's heartbreaking that this is something that that is happening. Um, But I I would do that all that's possible. Um, They they do have um, patient um, advocates and and patient representatives um, uh, that can uh, try to assist with this. Um, I don't know if you knew, uh, when I went to undergrad at, at, uh, at uh, USF, I, I worked at a hospital nearby as a patient advocate, patient mm-hmm. service representative. So we know as soon as, you know, a patient um, files a complaint or um, is, is concerned and it, it would land on our end 
to go up, speak with the patient, try to address the issue as best as we, we could. Um, so there, there are advocates there for you. Um, but um, worst case scenario, um, if, if you're able to, once you're discharged, gather all of your records and get established with a good GYN. Hopefully they, they would have been established with someone um, already, but if not, definitely um, doing the research to find a, a good GYN or primary care. I love it. Liz, do you have anything that you'd like to share with my listeners? Yes, I would. I would, especially it being um, uh, uh, the month of October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Most of my patients, when I, I ask them if they know how to perform a uh, monthly breast exam, I hear no or I see a look of confusion. Um, it is so important for you to be familiar with your, your breasts. Um, as women um, um, and feel comfortable performing a monthly uh, breast exam. Uh, typically, it's done about a week after our periods because um, our hormones kind of surge when we're on our periods. Our breasts are more dense, more tender. So a week after your period, just um, examine your breasts. Go in a nice circular pattern um, throughout the breast, express the nipple, make sure there's no discharge, no blood, no pain. Feel underneath your armpit, there's breast tissue under there. And if you feel anything different, a lump, have pain, or any of the other symptoms, I, um, signs I described, uh, connect with um, your uh, uh, primary care gynecologist. Breast exams should be taught um, to young, young, young women, um, uh, young girls, even so that they're familiar with with their breasts and and their their bodies. How soon do you think we should be testing that? And I and I ask that because two reasons. You know, we had Chadwick who just had the colon cancer passing, but he, mm-hmm. you know, he he is younger than I think most mm-hmm. of the screenings suggest you are for your testing, yeah. and then, um, I don't know if you remember, do you remember Ananda Lewis? She used to host Teen Summit when we were kids. Yes, on MTV? Uh, yeah, on BET. She just announced that On she, BET, I yes, She just announced that she has breast cancer and she's had it for two years, <gasps> um, and that oh, she was not getting mammograms what? when she first turned oh, 40. And Ananda goodness. is still ageless. I mean, even as she announced that she, oh, uh, has it I had no I still don't know how old Ananda is I never knew but she was saying she was not getting mammograms at 40 because she had this whole belief about radiation and her her own mother had it no so she didn't catch it until she was doing her own self breast exam so I guess my question is how early how soon how young I think there's a tendency amongst us to say I'm not at the age to test this so I'm not going to worry about it what age should we be just including some of these things in our regular, you know, health. So at age 35, a baseline mammogram can be offered, and that's the mammogram that is going to be used to compare once you're 40 and should be getting it every year. Gotcha. So baseline 35, annually starting at 40, but your family history is the um, wild card in all of this. Because if you have a strong family history, um, mom has been affected, maternal mom has been affected, maternal sister, there's a test, a genetic test that checks the breast cancer gene, the BRCA. 
um, that can tell us if there's a chance you have inherited um, the gene that could um, uh, cause you to develop breast ovarian cancer down the road. And uh, you might have heard um, Angelina Jolie mm-hmm. tested positive, and she shows to get a, an elective double mastectomy. Yeah. Um, but let's say that gene is um, in the uh, in the family line. You may need a mammogram even younger than 35 and breast ultrasound, breast MRI. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the mammogram um, itself, um, it is the most powerful screening tool against breast cancer. And we get more radiation getting on a plane, sitting at the beach oh. for, for, you know, 20, 30 minutes than we would for a mammogram we do once a year. Um, the mammograms are, are so much better now. They're computer-assisted, so the radiologist is looking at the films, the, the computer is looking at the films. They're 3D. Um, they don't need to use as, as much, um, you know, um, uh, compression strategies and all of these things. So don't be afraid of the mammogram. Like I said, an ounce of prevention, a pound of cure. This test is, is available, and, and it can save your life. It can save your life. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, I'm so glad that you said that because I know a lot of us, especially as black people, we have a love-hate relationship and, and mostly a fear-based relationship with the medical industry because of the Tuskegee experiments and, you know, the way that we were done in slavery. A lot of times, a lot of the advances that certain medical, especially the gynecological industry, came from the involuntary work of, of slave women, right? So there is a tendency sometimes for us to be afraid to get tested or to get treated or things like that, but we have to maintain our health. And I, I get it. We want to do things holistically and, you know, but but it's good. Knowledge is what we need. And, um, That's right. you know, our health That's is right. our wealth. So I would encourage anybody listening to establish themselves with a doctor and to find a doctor that they can trust. And so if that means looking for a female doctor or a doctor that's the same ethnicity as you, so you can kind of feel a little mm-hmm. more comfortable, that's fine. But just mm-hmm. someone that yeah. makes you feel at ease is the best doctor mm-hmm. for you. And I would encourage everybody to do that. Anything else you want to share? Excellent. Oh, I think that's it. I think that's it, yeah. Do you have a... This has been so much... Yeah. Yay, I'm glad. I'm glad. It wasn't scary, right? No, not at all. all. I'm (laughs) looking forward to coming back on. Yes, 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 yes. yes. (laughs) Liz, tell the people where they can reach you. Um, Well, I'm working in um, at the Women's Health Specialist of Central Florida, and we have multiple locations in Central Florida. Um, Our um, webpage is www.centralfloridagyn.com. That's it. So if you have any uh, good questions or if you're looking for a good GYN and you're in Central Florida, uh, I'm going to encourage you to do that. And I'll always have the link in the description box. Liz, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. This was so much fun. Yay, I appreciate you. <laughs> Likewise. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Liz, 
for uh, telling us what we need to do to maintain our health as women. Uh, Just so thankful to have her expertise on the show. Um, As always, you can email me at cocktailconvo7 at gmail.com. You can send me a voice memo, and the link for that is in the description box. You can rate and subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen, uh, particularly on Apple uh, Podcasts. They, we used to call them iTunes, but on Apple Podcast, uh, that really helps us improve our listeners uh, and our ratings and all those things that helps us get more listeners. So we need you to do that. I'm going to just give you a quick music recommendation. There's two albums that have come out in the last week or two, um, and that is Durand by Duran Bernard. And listen, if I'm pronouncing this wrong, don't judge me. Sam Hot, Samot, Samot. S-A-M-O-H-T, Samot. That's how I think you're supposed to pronounce it. I've only seen it written, but I'm very familiar with this music. has a new project out called Clear. Um, both albums are ooh, very, 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 very beautiful um, in different ways. Duran's voice and his harmonies and his arranging is stellar, stellar. And Samot's lyrics were just, you know, they kind of cut me open for a while. So I would encourage you to listen to those. They're just really, really beautiful. Uh, so that's it for me this week. Be blessed, my loves. We'll chat soon. Mwah.